You know what, baby? What? The government of the United States of America can suck me off. <laughs> Is this just a general sentiment, or did something happen that... No, I, I, I just, I've been thinking about how it would work logistically. Yeah, no, 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 it's not like a personal or political thing either. I'm just like, I would, that's like, it's always been kind of a dream of mine. And then like, okay. you know, I've been sketching it. No, so listen, they're trying to frame me, baby. <laughs> it's rigged. It's rigged. It's rigged. rigged this witch is, hunt, no collusion. Literally fake news, no collusion. Belden Gate. <laughs> this is Belden Gate. This is Belden Gate. So no collusion on a couple in a couple respects, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, for people listening who don't know what we're talking about, we should say that um, Brace here, Brace Belden of the True Anon podcast, which you are listening to right now, uh, is being uh, harassed. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> by the United States government. Presidential harassment. This is podcasting harassment, rigged witch hunt, no collusion. None. So I was, so listen, I, you guys, you might, I'm sure many of you have had a really tough week considering that we didn't release a new episode for I don't know how many days it's been, but close to a week. Uh, I was in the mountains, undisclosed mm. location, <laughs> wood walls, Brought the old, uh, brought uh, some high explosives and heavy weaponry. Just kidding. That did not. I went up there completely naked. Um, and I get a call the first night from a journalist, from old Ken, Ken Clippenstein, who was on this podcast a couple of weeks ago to talk about the feds. Oh, and he Clippy. tells me, El Clippy, and he tells me, uh, don't freak out, but I have some bad news. And, uh, the bad news is that apparently, uh, well, so you guys know Antifa, mm. like the 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 guys, the the clad in black fellas who uh, run around and you know uh, throw fireworks or whatever. Well, Trump is trying to make them into a terrorist organization, which I feel like doesn't. Uh, Antifa should really be glad of that because that makes you sound cool. <laughs> um, Jesus, but uh, he can't do it because. They're not like, well, I mean, they don't do anything that's like terroristy, but they also can't like, uh, they're not tied to a foreign power, which I guess because of the rules uh, of, I don't know, the intelligence community or whatever, a terrorist group has to have some sort of foreign backer. Mm. And Unfortunately, so- the, it seems as though the Trump admin has found a little loophole and that loophole is brace building shaped. Yes. Yeah. Which means, by the way, shaped like a brick shithouse. Um, and, uh, and so that, you know, these, the, Ken's got his hands on these documents, uh, from DHS. And as, as, you know, as listeners of True Anon will know, DHS has, as, as, you know, very quickly become the intelligence agency of choice of our, uh, of our round president. And, uh, yeah, we're fond of calling it basically a shadow DOD. Absolutely. And, uh, it is called, uh, the report title is The Syrian Conflict and Its Nexus, which is never a good word to have, uh, have titling a report that your name is in, to U.S.-based anti-fascist movements. Uh, it appears to be from, from mid-June, or, or for, excuse me, late June, and I'll read one paragraph off of many on the front. In more recent events, individuals affiliated with Antifa, which is all caps, 
have been identified traveling to Syria to fight against the Islamic State of Iraq and, Le- and Levant. ISIL slash ISIS. I- ISIL, give me a fucking break with that Obama shit. Aligning themselves with the Yekinian Palestina Gel, the YPG, translation People's Protection Units. Additionally, in late May 2020, Antifa participated in widespread domestic unrest in the United States, provoking riots, looting, arson, and violent attacks against law enforcement and right-wing protesters. They show some Antifa uh, iconography, and one of them is just like the Hot Topic anarchy symbol, which I think is is very funny. The so next wait, so let me let me just break that down. So basically what they're saying is that the the move that DHS is making is suggesting that the foreign organization that Antifa is tied to is the YPG in Syria yes. who is fighting against ISIS, which is this is confusing for a couple of reasons because ISIS is of course a terrorist organization. So we've got terrorist on terrorist violence happening because Mm -hmm. what they're suggesting is that YPG is training Antifa to then go back to the United States and cause mayhem. This has actually been a major talking point of uh, certain Turkophiles in the uh, state department and sort of Washington think tanks. And also like was, was even pressed by Erdogan himself about a month ago when these riots started kicking off Erdogan went on television and said, well, you know, look, you've got Antifa going to, you know, you're sort of reaping what you sow. Um, Unfortunately, the next page starts with my name. (laughs) (laughs) It says U.S. citizen, in parentheses, USC, Brace Belden, again, capitalized, very cool, was encountered on 08 April 2017, arriving in San Francisco, California from Frankfurt, Germany. Belden was returning from a six-month tour of volunteering to fight with the YPG under the umbrella of the Syrian Democratic Forces fighting ISIS in Syria as part of the ongoing Raqqa offensive starting November 2016 to retake Raqqa from ISIS. Belden stated he recently learned from an open-source article, or that an open-source article had been written about him in his, quote, anarchist fighters, which, first of all, they're not my anarchist fighters. (laughs) And second of all, the, the guy who wrote that friend of the pod did not pick that headline i am not an anarchist anarchists tend to not exactly like me a lot of the yeah. time so this is this is this is i don't think any know. longtime listener of the podcast thinks you're an anarchist no 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 i'm literally a police like uh, no okay so uh the story rights had been sold to a movie company and are planning to produce a movie about him. So for those who don't know, also Jake Gyllenhaal purchased the rights to that story uh, and is making an X-rated romp sex comedy about my time starring uh, Penelope Cruz, which is I'm, I'm apparently I'm playing myself. It's it's wonderful. Um, <laughs> according to the open source article, Belden was a minor criminal and drug addict. Okay, who started reading Marx and Lenin and drug rehabilitation treatment. Also, fact check on that. I started reading them when I was on speed a few years before uh, and became involved in a number of political causes before deciding to fight alongside the YPG. Um, not a great thing to read on my first day of my first vacation in many years. Yeah, okay. Let's pause for a second. One, check in. How are you doing, Brace? I'm good, baby. I'm good. They can't touch me. <laughs> we should say that um, 
you know, behind the veil, we'll say this has been on our radar as a possibility of happening for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Um, because as you mentioned, not just with Erdogan, but other kind of, um, not just Turkophiles, but like people within the Trump orbit, we'll say Trump orbiters mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in different uh, media, you know, OAN and, uh, you know, the kind of like Pasobiak types and Cernoviches of the world have been kind of try- floating this line about the YPG being like an Antifa terrorist organization, which even just putting those two words together makes just is incoherent on yeah. its face. Um, so this is something that, you know, privately has been on our radar, we should say, but it is still stunning. I should say I talked to Ken after I talked to you just to get a read on the situation. And it was like pretty wild to see all of this that night. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck? It's, it's, it's very strange. A bunch of the other guys, cause I'm not the only one listed of course, but a bunch of guys I know are also listed. They did specifically list only the left wing, um, or only really a portion of like the left wingers who went over there as opposed to like, you know, otherwise apolitical people or whatever. Um, Hmm. And the sense I get of this after talking to 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 quite a few people is that this isn't I'm not I'm I'm honestly not not worried about this really. Um but if they're doing this they're probably um doing some much more uh let's see. Clo- they're giving to give give me a closer look behind closed doors rather. Yeah, so, I mean we I want to just kind of lay it out for our listeners so they understand what's happening. The reason why the uh, Trump DHS is so keen on this. And my understanding from conversations I've had, uh, a variety of conversations I've had, is that it is, um, you know, a bit of a rogue cohort in the DHS that is pursuing this line and that it is probably, you know, directly coming from above rather than kind of a more broader uh, bureaucratic push, we'll say. And if these documents are leaked, it's because other people within, you know, DHS are, are, you know, questioning it, whatever. We always talk about how these institutions contain a multitude of infighting and, um, you know, careerism and, and jockeying for position. So the idea that there is this like one directive that everyone's following is like not the case. Um, but my, you know, just to kind of lay out what they're doing, the, there's a reason why they want to um, designate Antifa, which, again, is not an organization, um, as being a terrorist organization. And it's because that if they are able to do that, rather than kind of broad spectrum collecting data on people affiliated with Antifa through metadata collection, which the way that works is basically kind of like a vacuum that just like, like sucks everything up, sucks Mm -hmm. up metadata, um, kind of, uh, with the kind of close ring association of people. And they kind of have to like sift through all of that information to get a read on certain, you know, targets of the DHS. Now, if they get Antifa designated a terrorist organization, they can actually directly target individuals mm-hmm. um, without having to kind of go through those extra layers that, that um, you know, sifting through metadata, you know, seemingly provides. So that's the, that's the political motivation here. Um, and I don't think it takes like too many steps or leaps or whatever to understand what it would mean if a 
completely non uh, centralized or hierarchical or even identifiable quote-unquote organization such as Antifa was designated such and yep. also a terrorist organization, what that would mean for the ability of the government to target individuals. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, if if you're listening to this podcast, I mean, the the net is wide enough that they could probably look at you. You know what I mean? If they're, Please if they're looking don't at, stop listening to the podcast, though. Yes. Pl- yeah, no, you're already on the list. You're already on the list. So it's, there's no <laughs> point in stopping list. now. It, yes. <laughs> Also true, it does tell me when you unsubscribe in full name, everything, social security. Uh, and I am, of course, turning state's evidence now that I'm being targeted, so I will snitch on you. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's like, th- that's the thing. So, like, what's kind of going through my head is because I, I really don't have a connection to Antifa. You know, like, I, you know, I'm involved in you know, labor organizing and stuff like that, but, like, I'm not like a black block guy or whatever. It's it's not really my bag. Uh, but uh, but what worries me is that the from what I understand is that the guys in DHS really do believe that Antifa is this like actual transnational terrorist mm. organization. Some like, of this them is, certainly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this isn't just like something they're going through the motions on. Like the person who wrote this report and probably the people who ordered this report are people who actually think that Antifa is going to like, you know, blow up the White House or whatever. And so if that's the case, it certainly would not be unusual uh, for the United States intelligence services to do something like fabricate evidence or to arrest somebody on, you know, bullshit charges or to plant evidence. Um, and and that is sort of what's going through my head because like I live in this reality out here, right? The same reality as you, same reality as uh, as Young Chomsky here, same reality as everybody else. Um, where where like I'm not a member of Antifa, where I'm not a terrorist, but there are people who actually have the ability to affect my reality, who live in a totally other reality, right? Like some Philip K. Dick shit, where like in these guys' heads, like I am part of a transnational terror organization or whatever, and so the links that people are willing to go through when they, when they sort of uh, get attached to these delusional realities uh, to these sort of alter realities are, are not, are, it's not comforting to think about. And the thing is like, I don't, you know, I'm believe me, I am not tripping. I don't think that, that, you know, uh, black helmet guys are going to bust through my door and, uh, and be forced to chase me as my nimble body scampers across the rooftops to freedom. Um, but there's a not a, the chance of me getting arrested and getting sent to like some sort of a detention center are not zero. Yeah. And that, that, uh, that isn't great, um, to know, but, but on the other hand, like also there's not really a lot I can do, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always very careful and I keep my nose very clean. Uh, and so it's really, you know, well, I mean, I have a quite a large nose, which is probably why Liz is chuckling there. Uh, and it is covered in schmutz. <laughs> One thing that would be cool, like if there is a silver lining, is that if they had to prove that the YPG was terrorist training camp ground, then they'd probably have to make like finally come clean about uh, materially the U.S. materially supporting ISIS. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the whole thing's, the whole thing's, I mean, but hey, but the the Brits did it, you know, uh, a, yeah. a British member of YPG, his parents got fined. I th- I think we're being surveilled and almost arrested because they had sent him a $50 while he was in a YPG training camp. 
Yeah. And so for materially supported a terrorist organization. And so that uh, that sort of double dealing there does. I'm going to say that I'm not freaked out. It's just not something that I like to hear. Yeah. Um, but as always, baby, I'll tell you this. I am locked and loaded. Let's cut that. Hello, Liz. I said that very strange. Such uh, a pleasure to be with you once again. It's so nice. It's been so, it feels like it's been so long. Yeah. Well, I actually had the opposite thought, but yeah, same sort of realm of thought. And we were Aww. both thinking about time. Brace. I'm just kidding. You know I love podcasting. With me. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. With you and, you know, others. Okay. But okay. Like- okay. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Welcome. We're back. True and on. My name is uh-huh. Liz. My name is Brace, and we are joined, of course, by producer Young Chomsky, and actually special guest Young Chomsky too. <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. Mm-hmm. Um, Who produces today, the producer? I should say today is Monday, August tenth, twenty twenty, and Brace. Today's a special anniversary that I feel I like know. we need to tell people about. So think back, close your eyes, lay down, especially if you're driving, and, and, and think back to a year ago and how awful things seemed. It just seemed like the whole world was crumbling around you. Things were falling apart. The economy, you know, you could see it was eventually heading for a recession. And, uh, and your personal relationships were, were not doing great. And then, like a bolt of lightning, something happens and everything changes. And for the past year... Everything has just gone straight up. This has been August 10th to August 10th, probably the greatest year of my, your, and everyone else we know's life in history, baby. We are riding high. It's like we woke up from a nightmare in heaven. I love it. It's been the greatest year of my life. The, the year ago that Jeffrey Epstein died, it was like a curse had been lifted, lifted from, from, from this, this world. And everything has just gone amazing since then. Yeah, so basically we're saying happy anniversary to <laughs> Jeffrey Epstein's demise. Yeah, I cannot believe it's been a year. It is a little strange. Yeah. Um that's funny. I remember I remember us recording that podcast, the like special episode. That was our we had first just started podcasting episode. and then I was in Los Angeles visiting for a friend's wedding. And I got a call from my parents being like, Oh my god, Jeffrey Epstein killed himself allegedly. And I was like, what? And we all got on a text. It's all very cute. Reminiscing. Yeah. Memories. Yeah. Like the corners of my mind. <laughs> Misty watercolored memories of the way we were. And it'd be, it's nice to remember. It is. Yeah. I, uh, I, I was woken up very early that day. I, 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 for those you know, who are familiar with Turn On a Cannon, I don't sleep. And so I uh, don't appreciate getting woken up at any time before eight about. And, uh, and when I heard the news, it was like a bolt of lightning hit me. <laughs> like I, it was, it was incredible. Uh, and I flipped the fuck out and I'm honestly like listeners, 
Think about how insane that was when Jeffrey Epstein died and like the way you felt when you heard that news. Because to me, it's always a little bit like the the veil was lifted just a little and we got to mm. see in the nether realm. You yes. know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, honestly, it felt like something akin to like the JFK assassination. Mm, I wouldn't put it that big, but it was. I said akin. Yeah, yeah. It was crazy. And then just as it opened a little bit, <laughs> Closed again. Where are mm-hmm. we now? We're stuck inside. We got COVID. Everything's shit. Everything crazy is happening 24-7. And you've completely forgot about old Jeffrey. Exactly. Meanwhile, I just realized, too, that, you know, Jeffrey, uh, the head of DHS, my, my enemies, uh, Bill Barr, his father was the person who hired Jeffrey Epstein in the first place. So things do come, come full circle. We are intimately and forever twi- entwined with this man. We are oh, forever absolutely. connected in a cosmic battle. Mm-hmm. Our, our souls are engaged in psychic and uh, transcendental warfare. Yeah, it's total spiritual war. Um, and, uh, and, and we will defeat you. Yeah, we're just one year into this battle, baby. We got so much, we got so many more to go. What do we got? What do we got today, honey? Well, we got a lot of stuff. Okay, so we've been gone for a week, like we said a couple times. Sorry about that. Thank you. Um, (laughs) But, uh, so... As listeners know, who have been following the case, Ghislaine Maxwell locked up in the clink. Mm-hmm. And as a, a kind of gift to everyone, they've started unsealing pertinent docu- uh, documents, court documents, related to the trial. They call this, they were released under what's an obscure provision called the podcaster's law, which is where the federal government is legally required to give me and Liz something to talk about. Yeah, it's very kind of them. They're, this, they're providing material support to exactly. <laughs> Trunon and, and by extension Antifa, actually, in a bizarre... Yep. Uh, in a bizarre I've always of- said Southern District of New York, a hotbed of anti-fascism. <laughs> So, um, so we're going to be going through those were released. This started getting released last week. There's more to come. We'll get into some details there and some of the juicy little tidbits uh, we located in the hundreds of pages that Brace and I printed out, basically, and made yeah, binders by, of. <laughs> by the way, you're, I'm like, oh, cool. I'm going on vacation. You know what I did? I literally sat on the lakeside with a thousand page binder and a pen. Going through this testimony. Yeah, so. we, uh, we love binders here. Binders full of women over at I have four Epstein giant binders. So yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, that's yeah, true. Binders full of women. So we are going to get into that um, a little bit later on the show. But uh, a couple things happened just today that we need to bring up uh, related to the Gilly Maxwell case before we kind of get into... The details in these documents. So the first is that, unfortunately, so basically, Gillink's counsel keeps trying to halt. They were trying to stop the unsealing of all these documents. They failed. Loser, you failed. You lost. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. They're back for more. Now, they are trying to pause again uh, the rest of the documents from being unsealed. 
And I have some suspicions here that the rest of the documents, and we'll get into maybe why I think this later when we're going through what we've already read. Um, the rest of the documents are going to have some perhaps juicier tidbits than, yes. than the ones that have been already unsealed. And so uh, Ghislaine and her counsel are citing that there's unspecified, quote, critical new information mm. that requires or would allow these documents to be uh, continue to be sealed. So now we're getting back into another court battle. And I got to say, look, if I was the judge, Honorable Judge Preska mm-hmm. uh, in New York, I, I would be a little tired of all this shit. Yeah, I, I have a feeling that these are going to get unsealed at this point. It was either all, I think, I, in my head, and of course, this is not necessarily based on reality. This is just a hunch. So don't take it as, you know, word of God or whatever. But I think these will get unsealed because Ghislaine's been fighting to keep these sealed since, I believe, before since she was arrested. Yeah. Um, I, I know her. she was you know, communicating through her lawyers and they were saying there's a lot of names in these documents. And in the documents we've seen so far, we actually really haven't encountered it, many new names. And so I'm suspecting that they'll be in the next batch, uh, probably mostly redacted. But uh, but yeah, I, I have a feeling that these are going to come out. She's just trying to sort of delay that. The other thing that Maxwell is trying to do as of today is that uh, her and her counsel are requesting that she be moved out of basically what sounds like solitary confinement into general population of the MDC, where she is currently residing. Yeah, so so from what I gather uh, from, from what happened in her bail call and from what I've read since then uh, is that Ghislaine Maxwell supposedly due to precautions because of COVID, has essentially been kept in something that resembles solitary confinement. She's not in solitary, right? Like solitary is a specific, you know, there's a specific protocol around that. But the protocol around her confinement really does resemble it. I mean, she is confined by herself. Which yeah, is- so basically, yeah, you're right. You're correct that that she was supposedly uh, under like COVID-19 protocols. She was placed in, uh, you know, I guess you would call it quarantine if you don't want to call it solitary. Right. Well, For Ghislaine port- calls it. I have it on good authority that Ghislaine calls it quar. <laughs> oh, my God. She really would. Yeah, absolutely. Um. Yeah, so that's like a 14-day quarantine protocol. Now, the, the her lawyers say that she has been uh she's she's been kept three over 3 weeks longer than the 14-day quarantine protocol. So they're saying what the hell is going on? Mm-hmm. Uh they don't think that this is going to change. They say she continues to be surveilled 24 hours a day by security cameras and by multiple prison guards, many of whom do not okay. appear to be regular MDC personnel. Little hmm. interesting tidbit there. These prison guards constantly observe Miss Maxwell and take notes on her every activity, including her phone conversations with defense counsel. Until recently, Miss Maxwell was subjected to suicide watch protocols, including being woken up every few hours during the night and being forced to wear special clothing. It's, it's paper clothing that they give you. Very chic. Despite the fact that she, unlike Mr. Epstein has never been suicidal and was never diagnosed as exhibiting risk factors for suicide. Her cell is searched multiple times a day and she has been forced to undergo numerous body scans. Mm-hmm. In addition, Ms. Maxwell's access to the standard prison resources available to other pretrial detainees in the general population has been extensively curtailed or eliminated altogether. Now, okay. 
zoom out. Me, podcaster, layman, little old Liz. I'm reading this and I'm thinking, well, Epstein, quote unquote, killed himself, allegedly. Mm -hmm. Thinks this is probably pretty good protocol to have on Miss Maxwell. Yeah, I, I would say if you are if you are basically the second in command of an organization where the leader of which murdered himself uh, a year ago today, I would say that you don't get the benefit of the doubt for not quote unquote killing yourself. Like, and and it does give me a sort of perverse pleasure. And I'm not one of these guys who's like, if you rape someone, you should go to jail and get your ass you fucked or whatever. You know, it's not like that. But it does give me the teeniest <laughs> bit of I, you know those guys like that. Yeah, uh, don't do that. That's awful. That's like an yeah. awful thing to say about any like no. Well, what's wrong no, with a people? big uh, one of one of one of one of many Americans' uh, uh, more depraved traits is imagining the sexual assault of somebody they don't like in prison. I don't. It's yeah. It, this totally, is you know sadism, run yeah. amok, eye for an eye, bullshit. Get yeah. your yeah, get yeah. your. Uh, Get your brain and your heart in order, people. Get right with God. Um, that being said, <laughs> it does amuse me that there is no doubt some 300-pound guy from Queens putting on a really too tight, like the a leather, not leather, well, that would be very funny, latex glove where there's like fat bulges out of his wrist and like, he, like he's losing circulation and just like pokes his finger in Ghislaine's butt to search no, for I don't know, a razor no, blade. No, no, no. That's what they do. There. Listen, I, I, yeah, ha- I well, myself don't take any pleasure in that. I don't like that. Well, it's funny. I'm not taking pleasure in it. That's sort of okay. Kind of anyway, I'm just saying to get back to it. I'm just saying that you know what they're listing to me sounds pretty reasonable given the circumstances yeah. and that this is you know Ghislaine Maxwell, Ghislaine. Uh, second in command to the deceased Jeffrey Epstein, yeah. Maxwell. Yeah. Uh, if she's lonely, how about this? Uh, put a guard in there. Just be hey, like, yeah, how about this? 50 Get bucks a pen a pal. Hey, how about this? Okay. There's so many GoFundMes for people writing letters to lonely people. Let's write some letters to Ghislaine. Hey, dear Ghislaine. Wait, how's it let's, going? Let's actually write a letter to Ghislaine. I mean, yeah, we're going to start a new... This is our new okay, thing. Yeah, letter yeah, writing okay. campaign. We are establishing Maxwell. it right now. This is... We're just coming up this... You know, look. Actually, sorry. Scratch that. Delete that. Roop, erase. Brace and I have been thinking about this for a long time. Oh, yeah. Planning out in stages for... We're, I mean, I'm so happy to unveil this plan that we've created for you today. Yes, it, it's, it'll be rolled out in phases and completely branded. And what we're saying is, everyone listening to this podcast, hey... Let's all go grab a little card at the CVS. Little uh, hang in there, mm-hmm. baby, with a cat, you know, on the Don't on the die cliff soon. Or whatever. And uh, I'm familiar you know, with that particularly quirky feline. Yeah, dear Ghislaine, we hang in there. Love. And then just draw the eyeball. So the other thing they're saying is that not only do they want her out in general population, but they also want her um, to be able to have access to computers that she currently does not. And so what they're saying is that she doesn't have the sufficient amount of time 
or ability to review documents in her very complex case. And basically, this is infringing on her Sixth Amendment right to participate in her own defense. So they said, as an illustration, the government's first set of production materials consists of nearly 13,000 pages of documents. Assuming it takes Miss Maxwell an average of one minute to review each page of those materials. One minute. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Based on the proposed cap of three hours per day for review, Miss Maxwell would conceivably finish reviewing the first set of documents at the earliest by mid-November 2020. This is entirely unworkable. So we'll see where that goes. Um, I hope they give her internet access. Let her let uh, her get her posting <laughs> out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, her Reddit account or whatever. Um, yeah, I I have a feeling that she'll. I I don't know. I mean, it's it's it can go either way because if they really want to like throw a wrench in this trial and make it take longer than it would, then they would absolutely fuck her like her case up like that. And if I recall correctly, though. Epstein was basically allowed unlimited time to go review stuff. And in fact, even had sex with a paralegal that his lawyers, by the way, which I feel like someone should cast a sort of a watchful eye on them about, uh, brought to him in there. So a year ago, well, not today, but, you know, a little over a year ago, Jeffrey Epstein was literally having sex in prison or in jail. And Ghislaine can't even get on a computer for three hours a day. Yeah, well, this is what I'm always saying. Jeffrey Epstein tragedy, Ghislaine Maxwell farce. Absolutely. Absolutely. So some other stuff happened. We got, uh, in in the legal realm, we have Mr. Wexner coming to the fore again. And this story, I think, is, is, is pretty funny. Yeah, this is basically like super breaking. And I don't totally have a handle on everything that's being released here, but... To give some background here, so uh, late June of last year, I believe, Virginia Jeffrey sued, Virginia Jeffrey, who is, of course, one of the um, victims of Jeffrey Epstein, and um, we will be reading from some of her testimony that was unsealed in the Ghislaine Maxwell case uh, shortly, later in this episode. But um, Virginia Jeffrey filed a defamation suit against Alan Dershowitz. Uh, yeah. For comments that he made in the press about her, um, famously he he basically smeared her as yeah. a, as like a liar and a drug addict, and and that goes back to his time as representing Jeffrey Epstein in the mid two thousands when their whole game plan of of Epstein's defense team was to basically uh, drag these these at the time women, but at the time of their assault, young girls names through the mud as much as possible. Yeah, absolutely. So Dershowitz being the enterprising old fart that he is, uh, countersued Virginia Jeffrey <laughs> yes. saying, Oh, you're going to sue me for defamation. Well, guess what, sister, I'm going to sue you. So now they got dueling suits, right? Uh, basically <laughs> this is so amazing because we, you know, we on true and on are always talking about how Dershowitz always ends up like, he is the most like foot in mouth kind of guy. You know, he famously, of More, course, it's, it's had a, to, to cancel. an astounding degree. Yeah, he famously, of course, had to cancel a mock trial event that he had scheduled literally on the topic of child rape, child sex trafficking. That was what yes. the... Uh, With the, Chris Christie! He was performing he, alongside Chris Christie, for God's sake. Yeah, so uh, he's, you know, he's always, yeah, he, he basically published an If I Did It. <laughs> yes. Oh, you know, I've read his sort of, he, he did publish, uh, So You've Been Falsely Accused, it's called. I read it, which is 
if we didn't even cover on the show. It was just a masochistic sort of exercise I went through. Yeah, so he's always uh, getting himself in trouble, like on his own, just really tripping over his dick. Uh, and he's got, he, he perhaps has as well here, because what he's saying is that he's attempting to get Leslie Wexner, who we've, of course, talked a lot about on the podcast, the uh, financier, if you will, of Jeffrey Epstein, and of course, the former owner, CEO, head of L Brands. He recently uh, resigned. Mem- and member of the mega group as well. Yes, yes. Um, so uh, Dershowitz is attempting to subpoena Leslie Wexner to explain his relationship to Jeffrey Epstein and therefore Virginia Jeffrey in order to prove that Dershowitz is not lying when he says that he never had sex with Virginia Jeffrey. <laughs> Dershowitz's defense uh, of himself in, in relation to him having sex with Virginia Jeffrey, every time I hear him say it, he says something more outlandish. In that Netflix documentary, he states vehemently that, in fact, he's never had sex with anybody ever in his life except for his wife, which is like, you know, you could just say, I did not molest that child. You don't have to be like, I've actually only fucked one woman, and it's my old, it's like the kind of woman who would marry Alan Dershowitz. Although, I... Believe, didn't he kill his first wife or something? Anyways, um, <laughs> allegedly, who knows? Allegedly, uh, but uh, but yeah, this is this is amazing. So so they're 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 gonna decide whether to uh, to to hit to hit old Wexner with a subpoena. I would love to be the person that delivered that. Yeah. So basically, Dershowitz wants Wexner and Wexner's attorney John Ziger Ziger to sit down for depositions to help out his suit or countersuit against Virginia Jeffrey. Um, (laughs) what's amazing is that now a little twist is that Virginia and her lawyers have now filed an affidavit saying, or a memo saying, yes, we also want Wexner to be deposed because we think that it will help our case against Dershowitz. So you've got Virginia and Dershowitz teaming up. This is the, you know, most ambitious crossover yet or whatever, Teaming up in order to get Leslie Wexner, the famously silent, he has made basically zero comments other than saying he barely had any ties to Epstein, didn't know anything about mm. his sexual adventures or oh, whatever Oh, in fact, that them. Epstein rip, ripped him off financially. He's like, yeah. I can't believe this pedophile I gave all this money to spent some of my money. Yeah. So he, they're basically both teaming up to try to get Leslie Wexner deposed in order to expose his own relationship to Jeffrey Epstein. And they both think that it will clear their own names in these countersuits. Now, Wexner has come out and said, uh, basically, Mariah Carey gift, you know, I don't know them. <laughs> He basically, (laughs) Leslie Wexner came out and basically was like, uh, actually, you don't need to depose me because I have no fucking clue what Dershowitz is talking about. And I, I've never been involved in any extortion scam. I don't think that any, that Virginia is trying to extort anyone for money. Uh, don't ask me any more questions. I'm not party to any of this. And basically he's trying to get out of being deposed by base, by saying that he, you know, doesn't even know these people basically. Yeah, uh, which, by the way, he clearly does. I mean, for those of you who heard our interview with Maria Farmer, she was you know, assaulted by Epstein at Leslie Wexner's fucking mansion. You know, like he was closely, closely linked to Epstein for years. And every, it's, it's, it's totally ridiculous that he wouldn't know about this. I mean, he facilitated for Christ's sake. 
Yeah. So again, basically Dershowitz's claim is that Virginia or Virginia Jeffrey was like trying to do this for money, trying to extort everyone that she has financial motivations. And so Wexner uh, came out and said, you know, there was no extortion demand ever made. No settlement was ever entered into and not a penny or any other consideration was ever paid. He is what Mr. Wexner has had no involvement and thus lacks any personal knowledge relating to this so-called extortion claim. Therefore, he does not believe that he needs to be deposed. So basically, he's trying to get out of it by saying his pal Alan Dershowitz is lying. Mm-hmm. Which, again, classic Dershowitz maneuver. So basically, the judge is going to hear the 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 case August 17th and it might, it, you know, it might happen that, uh, old Leslie gets deposed and we, we get to hear a little bit more about Leslie and his ties to Mr. Epstein. I have a feeling that, that Wexner probably has some ideas of how to get out of that deposition, but we'll see. At least I hope he gets served with a subpoena. Well, speaking of Wexner and actually speaking of Maria Farmer, um, this was, this was actually kind of pleasant to hear is that the the New York Academy of Art issues an apology to Maria Farmer? And now, so this is the this woman Rachel Corbett from Artnet News has, or yeah, Artnet.com has done a lot of really good reporting on sort of Epstein's involvement with the art world, mm-hmm. um, which is sort of like an overlooked part of this. But the gist of this is that is that Maria Farmer says that that, and I believe her that Eileen Guggenheim, um, wa, uh, who was was uh, you know, sort of a big wig at the New York Academy of Art. She's the dean, yeah. She was the dean. Uh, that she basically trafficked Maria to Jeffrey Epstein. She certainly got him to, uh, or she got her to sell her art at a reduced price to Epstein. In fact, to cancel like an expensive sale and then sell that same piece to Epstein at a reduced price. She could, she went on a trip with Maria to uh, to New Mexico and uh, and and facilitated this. And of course, Guggenheim has sworn up and down this is not true but there's actually been a, a you know a fair amount of public outcry over this uh and 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 a fairly widely signed petition and so now they're apologizing yeah so it uh on July 30th three members of the academy's board resigned and then two and two weeks earlier um actually the actress Naomi Watts resigned from the board mm-hmm. and and there weren't any public statements made but it's sort of like you know in the reporting you know it, it seems to be that these people resigned because of the way the school was handling um Maria Farmer's allegations about the school and Eileen Guggenheim's conduct um so the executive committee has issued a, quote, profound apology to Farmer and other alumni who are, quote, upset and angry with its response. Uh, they're making a $30,000 donation. That to me seems like not very much money. Um, but, uh, you know, it's interesting that they're, you know, it seems like they're acknowledging, uh, you know, they, they they were forced to acknowledge the allegations, which, you know, it, it seems like they were doing a good job of ignoring them for a very long time. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's sort of been the MO for basically anybody who's been involved in this similar way, like w- who wasn't a main player, but was sen- essentially somebody in Epstein's orbit or someone who facilitated, uh, you know, his, his passage into high society or, or his access to young girls. The, the general strategy has just been to ignore everything and, and not, not even mention it. 
Yeah, it seems too is you know one thing I want to mention is that the there you know there's a letter you know a letter of alumni and and current students and you know I think a lot of people that remained anonymous that were saying um, how upset they were with the school and one thing they really pointed out was the way that the school in Maria's description and also what happened with her you know with her relationship with Guggenheim introducing her to Epstein and then what happened within her life. But also currently with how the school works with students and donors. And they point out that the school really needs to examine uh, and, and, you know, I would think try to change or alter how it relates donors with students that are reliant on, you know, being introduced to wealthy patrons in order to possibly have yeah. a career in the art world and what that relationship is with, between the school facilitating what end up being exploitative relationships in the industry. Well, I mean, that's the thing is about the art world is, is it really is sort of like a pimping relationship that a lot of these institutions yeah. have with people. I mean, I am not, you know, well, podcasting is an art form, but I, you know, I, I'm, I was never like an artist or anything, but I knew a lot of people especially girls that went to art school. Uh, sometimes I knew them very well. And, uh, and that is sort of like what I gather is that like you basically have to have like a pimp and then you enter into this almost neo-feudal relationship with, with some sort of patron yeah. because the art world is, is fucking depraved in that sense. Like there's so much like hyper exploitation, uh, going on with artists and it's like in a way it reminds me a lot of boxing um where like a few people at the top make a lot of money and everybody else is basically just scrambling around trying to make some kind of living and and sucking up to the people who can who can provide that and if we know anything about rich people is they like having that power over people it's a sort of sadistic uh, uh you know quasi-sexual thing and so you know it doesn't surprise me at all yeah So before we get into to, to some of the transcripts, um, there is one final little piece of reporting here. Uh, there is a new documentary out on the Lifetime channel, which uh, came out last night. I have not had a time to watch it because I spent all day teaching CrossFit classes in Golden Gate Park um, with, with a journalist named Christopher Mason uh, being interviewed. And he says, he's one of those guys, listen, I've seen pictures of this guy. You get the gist right away after seeing him. This is a very British sort of human being. Uh, uh, a bow tie. Uh, when Americans wear bow ties, they work at the Heritage Foundation. When British people wear bow ties, they write dirty limericks for a living. <laughs> and, uh, and this fellow, Christopher Mason, his story is, and this is, this, is, uh, this is from Vanity Fair here, Ghislaine was pretty specific and controlling. Mason told Vanity Fair this week, when I do those songs, and I still occasionally do them, my preferred way of doing it is to speak with as many people as I can so I can get a real idea of the person and as much comic information as possible. But Ghislaine was very clear that I wasn't to speak to anyone else, that all the information was to come from Ghislaine. She wanted me to mention that when Epstein was teaching at the Dalton School, he was the subject of many schoolgirl crushes. Ugh. Uh, and, and if, if you'll indulge me... Mm. Uh, we have the, uh, we have this 
tune in front of us. And uh, let me get my pitch right. I'm going to do it in a British accent just to add an extra layer of realism. I love when you do a British accent, baby. Paul Jeffrey Epstein is 40. Oy vey. feel like that's a little... Okay, that's a little problematic. Mason does not sound like a Jewish last name. We'll skip that. Paul Jeffrey Epstein is 40. Oy vey. Life must be tough. His hair is already so gray. He sure looks older, but it's clear from his smile. The older he gets, the more juvenile. Ghislaine is lavishing him with her affections. She claims he has 24-hour erections. Ugh. Sounds like he's busy. Now, ain't that berserk? How does he find the time to get off to work? He wakes when the cock crows while everyone slumbers. He rivals Einstein when with crunching those numbers. He taught at Dalton. The naughty boy blushes to think of schoolgirls and all of their crushes. This uh, awful. Horrible. Dog shit. This guy got paid for this. That's awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, um, I just am imagining them all like sitting around being like clapping yeah. their hands. Absolutely. Ooh, absolutely. Sitting on tuffets. Yeah. So 100%. Please. <laughs> I hate these fucking people. <laughs> Sorry, baby. That's, uh, it's just, oh, one last thing. One last thing. This is from OK Magazine, the gossip magazine. So this is not exactly page six in terms of reliability we're talking about here. But I have to mention it. OK Magazine claims from a quote-unquote source that Ghislaine Maxwell had sex with JFK Jr. John John? John John. And now, okay, you might be like, well, we do remember, baby. We do remember that, that, that Robert Maxwell did want one of his daughters to marry a Kennedy, right? Yeah, so this is getting uncomfortably close to QAnon territory for me. Uh, this is literally... Fucking QAnon. <laughs> I mean that in every way. Like, so all right, I'm sure many of our listeners know what QAnon is, blah, blah, blah. But a big part of the QAnon mythos, and in fact, almost like an offshoot now, is this theory that JFK Jr. is not only alive, but is a frumpy, extremely ugly man who goes to Trump rallies and refuses to say whether he is JFK Jr. or not. He is not, of course. His actual identity is very well documented. Um, but uh, but this would be in the this is like saying that like one of the apostles uh, had sex with like uh, I, my theology is failing me the devil like <laughs> this is this is I don't know like John or whatever yeah there we go John had sex with Satan because it's like it's such like a because because John John in in the QAnon universe John John is one of the secret forces of light possibly Trump's. New running mate to replace Pence, although sort of running oh, out of time. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yes, yes, yes. And now for so Ghislaine like, to have been there in the early mm -hmm. days. It's really throwing things. Uh, you know, I'd like to see how the cute people spin this. There's also a lot of stories around that George Clooney got a blowjob from Ghislaine Maxwell, but true and on listeners know, I think, I think she made it up. I think she probably did it. He was all yeah. over the place in the 90s. He was everywhere. Know, but, because you know why? He didn't know when ER, if he could, if he could get out of just being a TV actor. And so oh, when you're doctor? in... Yeah, yeah. He was on ER. That's, how, that's when he became famous. Oh. The TV show ER. Just keep up. Okay. okay. Oh, so, okay. no, but that's the whole thing. So you don't know. You know, he was on ER. He's all on the cover of Entertainment Weekly, which was a very big rag back then. And, uh, you know, he's on the TV guides and everything. And everyone's like, oh, look at this handsome man. But you never know. Can you make the transition from TV to silver screen? Well, yeah, our man George difficult. didn't know. 
We didn't mm-hmm. know yet. So he was out partying. He's on. He goes on an episode of Friends with his good friend Brad Pitt. Great episode. And then, uh, you know, so he's out partying with everyone. He's, you know, he's hanging out with Gillian. That's what I'm saying. 10 for 10. I know, Liz but I've says, been out true. I, <laughs> baby, I've been out partying with everyone. And George I have never in my everyone. life. I, I'm, uh, okay. Gillian? Jesus. Hey, hey, I will say this. Hollywood people, they are just like you and me. Uh, except they get blowjobs from Glenn Maxwell. <laughs> so on to the documents, baby. Um, so there were, what, what was it? About a thousand pages released? Yeah, about, about a thousand, yeah. Some of it's been uh, released before. I'm thinking particularly of Virginia Jeffrey's sort of like autobiographical novel or like partial manuscript that she wrote, which I've, I've, I've read through before. Um, it, but but the thing is, there's nothing in this necessarily that is like, you know, bowl me over crazy new information. But mm. there are quite a lot of very interesting details, including some stuff that we had no insight into before. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, there's a lot. I mean, you know, there is, you know, circulating on the Internet is some of Virginia's testimony. We've read from some of that on the podcast. We've read from some of her uh, unpublished memoir on the podcast. So some of this stuff um, wouldn't be new to listeners. Some of it wasn't new to me. But this is its first release in, like, official capacity, we should say. Yeah, I- Absolutely. And, and, and there are, there are parts of this too, that haven't been released either. Um, so I think the first thing we're going to talk about is, is from an interview actually between Virginia and her lawyer, Bradley Edwards and Bradley Edwards lawyer, actually. Um, and so Liz, would you, would you mind? Well, let's just read from it. I'll be the lawyer. Uh, you be Virginia. Okay. So, all right, Virginia. The reason for this conversation is because it is our understanding that you know a man by the name of Jeffrey Epstein. And I want to begin by asking you please to tell us about the circumstances of your first meeting, Mr. Epstein. Okay. I was introduced to Mr. Epstein by Ghislaine Maxwell. I was working at Donald Trump's spa in Mar-a-Lago, and I was prompted by Ghislaine to come to Jeffrey's mansion in Palm Beach that afternoon after work to make some extra money and to learn about massage. She met me at the spa, and I was reading a book about anatomy, so I was already interested in massage therapy, as it was, and not having any of the education or, you know, anything behind me, I thought this was a great opportunity to work for her and go. So I went to Jeffrey's mansion about five or six in the afternoon. My dad drove me there. My dad worked at Mar-a-Lago with me, and he met Ghislaine, and she seemed like a nice, proper English lady, and she knows, I mean, you know, one time then, once before I left overseas she seemed really nice and like we would like to help me out so my dad left and I had no problem getting home that night one of her drivers would take me back after my trial so she led me upstairs and into Jeffrey's bedroom and past that is Jeffrey's massage room which has got his steam room and shower and a massage table and there's actually an extra room that has well that nobody knows about it's kind of a secret room and it's got a whole bunch of decorative pictures of pornographic literature and sex toys and I can what happened in there when you say the room was hidden Virginia how was the room concealed 
It wasn't like a door that you would normally go into, like some kind of special opening. You open that and then a little door. So it looks like it's a little closet, so to speak. But when you walk in there, it's obviously a lot bigger than just a closet. It wasn't too big, but it was bigger, you know? It wasn't a gigantic room. It was just like a small room, which, you know, it probably could fit some shoes in there. It had racks of shoes, foxes, some sweatshirts neatly folded. And the ceiling to the floor was covered in pornographic pictures of the girls that he had met. So to sort of take a step back here is that we knew Jeffrey Epstein, of course, famously uh, decorated his, his Palm Beach house in basically exclusively naked photos of everything ranging from essentially infants to uh, that old bitch, Ghislaine Maxwell. Um, and, uh, and, and, and sort of we ha- we, what we didn't know about, though, is the fact that this was a secret room essentially uh it's it's sort of creepy to imagine i mean everything's obviously creepy to imagine but like entering through this small door into this room that's that's much bigger than it has any right to be and she goes on to describe it as having at least 100 photographs of naked girls and like i said they covered the room from the ceiling not the ceiling but the top of the uh, the edge of the wall to the bottom of the floor so we're talking literally wall to f- like ceiling to floor like pasted on photographs of girls. And, and she goes on to state that some of these girls were just like girls like Virginia that he brought over there. And I get a very Carcosa bad vibes. from. Yeah. There's a couple things that come to mind. One that's like really perverse is that it reminds me so much growing up on like how teen girls would cover their walls with like ripped out pages from like teen bop magazine or whatever it was, you know, and it would be like the hunky stars on on the wall when you're a teen girl. That's precisely what it reminded me of. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like such a perverse image then when it's an old man of young girls. Right. There's Absolutely. like something that now has been appropriate, something innocent that now has been appropriated into something really, really dark and stolen from these girls. And it's like explicit on the walls of his house. I, 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 I thought that exact same thing as well. But it also reminded me of something else that you hang on walls, which is like the heads of animals you've slayed. Mm. It reminded yeah. me a lot of that as well. Sort of a trophy room for Epstein, because in a way it was. Yeah, I mean, it. this is like, you know, Brace and I have talked about this a lot on the podcast and also just separately, but, um, or, you know, privately, but, you know, we talk a lot about like the sickness of the bourgeois mind. Yeah. And like what comes, what's born out of this like mm, sickness and this yeah. like, you know, depravity. It, yeah, it's really upsetting. I don't know. It's really upsetting. She goes on later to basically uh, give a list of uh, people that she flew with on the plane. The lawyer asks, I'm going to ask you who the people that you were that you remember flying with Jeffrey on his plane when you were personally present without regard to whether there was any sexual activity that occurred in the plane or not. So I'm not asking you to implicate any of these famous people in improper conduct just to tell me the names of the people, uh, who the names of the people are that you remember that you consider to be famous people. Okay, so there was Naomi Campbell, Heidi Klum, there was Bill Clinton, there was Al Gore, there was a whole bunch of models. I I wouldn't really, I wouldn't really honestly be able to give their names. There was Matt Groenig, the producer of the Simpsons cartoon. Yeah. 
Jack Cousteau's granddaughter, a lot of interior designers, architects, politicians. I'm just trying to think of as many names as possible for you. Off the top of my head, that's as good as I can get for now. So these are all names that we have mentioned on the podcast. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, You know, Naomi Campbell, we've (laughs) spoken of a bunch. And if you are a fan of blind items, none of these Mm. names should be familiar we Al Gore is actually someone whose name hasn't come up too much. Well, so as far as I can understand, that was actually a mistake by Virginia. Um, she she I think later recanted that and was like, "Oh, it wasn't Al Gore; it was some other politician." Um, mm. So so that he's safe, but everybody else, Matt Gronig, I, I don't remember think that Al Gore is safe. That motherfucker, he's greenwashed he, his entire reputation. That motherfucker is DLC absolutely. scum. Yeah, yeah, son of a He's bitch. He's the Ur greenwasher. Yeah, again, he can uh, suck me. But uh, Matt Gronick here, who, uh, listen, when a lot of people heard this news, it was, people didn't take it very well. But Virginia herself said, and Matt Gronick confirmed, that she actually just gave him a fully clothed foot massage, which I believe he said was weird. Like Epstein ordered her to do it. Mm. Um, possibly Did, as like a preclude to try to get heard about this by his gross feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is the least surprising news I've ever read in my entire life. Yeah. Cartoonist gross feet news at 11. So later we actually got some information, which, which isn't, I don't know. It's not, it's not interesting in like a, you know, the sense of like, does this prove that Jeffrey Epstein was in the CIA or whatever, but, it, but it, it's like another window, like the secret room is just to, to really just how perverse the bourgeois mind is like, and mm. how, how sort of like creepy and decadent it is. So the lawyer asked, did he ever express any style preferences in terms of how he wanted you to dress besides dressing classy? I'm, you know, any other suggestion to you about how he wanted you dressed? He didn't, like I said, he wasn't trying to dress me in any prostitute way or anything like that. It was nice, classy outfits. I was wearing like Gucci, Dolce & Gabbana, Chanel, things like that. He was buying me a lot of very, very nice clothing. It was provocative. I mean, I was wearing mini skirts and tight short shorts and little shirts that showed my belly and my cleavage and everything, but they were very expensive clothes. This part, this part is, was, was news to me. Was there any dress-up role-playing? Yes, there was. Lots of it. Jeffrey loved the latex outfits Gillane had for us girls. He had bondage outfits. He had all kinds of outfits, but his favorite was the schoolgirl. I'm not enjoying this, but uh, the lawyer says, tell me about that. (laughs) Well, you know, Ghislaine would take me to dress me up to surprise J.E. or Jeffrey, would ask me to get dressed up. That would include wearing a tiny little skirt with nothing underneath, a white collared shirt that you would be wearing to school with a tie in it, tied up in a bow, my hair and pigtails stocking up on up to my knees and I would go in there and act like a kid and we'd do role-playing sexing. I will say, fuck that. That's, that, that, like, like, if there was, I mean, I was going to say, if there's any doubt in your mind, but I don't think anyone has any doubt in their minds. Um, This, like, this gave me the creeps. In yeah. a way that I'm sure it's giving the creeps to many of our listeners. Um, mm. I was rather surprised, though, to hear about the latex and sort of the bondage S&M aspect of this. 
I feel like that's uh, Ghislaine's. That's got to be Ghislaine's deal. That's what I was going to say. That seems like a, the touch of Ghislaine. Yeah. Um, but Without yeah, getting I, into that stuff, I don't really want to comment anymore on that. Me either. So this is, this is from later where, where, where the lawyers asked uh, Virginia about how she left. Now, well, I guess she explains in this. But yeah, this, this, is, about, this is about Virginia sort of leaving the Epstein organization. Mm. Okay, so it hadn't really ended. I walked away from it all. Jeffrey sent me to Thailand where I met my husband and escaped to Australia, never to return to the States. About six months prior to that, he came up with a proposition that I thought was really disgustingly sick. And it really showed me for the first time in four years I had been with him that nothing was going to change. And I was always just going to be used by him, which I did not like. He offered me a mansion and some of his money every month. I forget what he called it, a monthly income of what he made to bear one of his children. The proposition was that if anything ever happened between Jeffrey and I, that I would have to sign my child over to him, basically, and that the child would be his and Gillane's, and I would be looking after it as long as nothing happened between Jeffrey and I. So I was kind of freaked out by all of that. I pushed Jeffrey more to please get me some more training. You know, and I was getting older and not as much of interest to Jeffrey anyway. I was 19 now, and he likes a female a lot younger. So he sent me to Thailand in September of 2002. I was first supposed to meet a girl there and bring her back with me, but I never met up with her. I proceeded to get a short course in Thai massage, so that was to shut me up about my training, so I went there. And one of my friends from school invited me to watch a fight, like a... Muay Thai fight, which is like a form of kickboxing. So I went and watched it. I saw this guy that was a really good fighter and the girl's word looked really hot. So I asked my friend who knew him to introduce me. We got introduced and fell in love immediately. Three days later, Rob proposed. Aww. And seven days later, I was being married in a Buddhist temple. I called Jeffrey and told him, I'm sorry, I'm never coming back. I've gotten married, I've fallen in love. I thought he'd wish the best for me but he was just kind of rude and he said, have a good life, hung up the phone. And that was the last time I'd ever talk, I'd talked to him ever until all this started again. Yes, and we'll get into her later conversations uh, with, with Epstein after all this started again. But, uh, but yeah, I thought that was like a pretty good window into exactly how Virginia left because we knew the story about, you know, she, she's going to Thailand and getting sent there. But, uh, but, but I thought this was a, I don't know, it was, it was interesting to read. Yeah. So the last thing we got to bat is, uh, well, for fans of uh, the Democratic Party of the United States, will be very exciting. And hopefully none of you listening are fans of the Democratic Party. <laughs> no. And if so, you are, we haven't done our jobs. <laughs> we, got, we, got, we got the lawyer saying this. Just a few other follow-up things I want to ask you. And again, if any of these questions are questions that you're uncomfortable in responding to, then don't hesitate to tell me that. Do you have any recollection of Jeffrey Epstein specifically telling you that, quote, Bill Clinton owes me favors? Yes, I do. It was a laugh, though. He would laugh it off. You know, I remember asking Jeffrey, what's Bill Clinton doing here kind of thing? And he laughed it off and said, well, he owes me a favor. He never told me what the favors were. I never knew. I didn't know if he was serious. It was just a joke. He told me a long time ago that everyone owes him favors. They're all in each other's pockets. When you say you asked him why is Bill Clinton here, where was here? On the island. When you were present with Jeffrey Epstein and Bill Clinton on the island, who else was there? 
Ghislaine, Emmy, and there were two young girls I could identify. I never really knew them well anyways. It was just two girls from New York. So that's, pause, pause. We have heard, you know, there has been no testimony so far about people that have said, I had sex with Bill Clinton at Jeffrey Epstein's island or stayed on the plane. But, but from what you get reading this testimony is there are so, so, so many more girls, yeah. both American and, you know, trafficked from other countries uh, that, that were on the island and on the plane besides like Virginia or any of the people that have come out that, that, that doesn't really say much to us because if you are this fucking old man on the island, Bill Clinton, uh, I'll just say for me, if I go to my friend's island, uh, and my friend is famously rumored to have, a um, unorthodox sexual appetite and there are a bunch of scantily clad young girls around, I would, uh, I would leave the island. I mean, it is sort of shocking. I mean, I, you know, it is, it's sort of shocking in the sense that like, yeah, there's so many more witnesses that haven't come forward, but maybe they knew they were never going to come forward. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that could be it too. You know, it's, it's, uh, Virginia mentioned several times throughout this testimony and others that, that a lot of these girls had foreign accents that actually at some points it seemed like the minority were Americans and, and all these girls were, were almost all white. Jeffrey Epstein famously had a very particular taste, but a lot of them were trafficked from former Soviet uh, bloc states, probably by Jean-Luc Brunel. Yeah. So he goes on and says, the, the lawyer says, and were all of you staying at Jeffrey's house and on the island, including Bill Clinton? That's correct. He had about four or five different villas on his island separate from the main house, and we all stayed in the villas. Were sexual orgies a regular occurrence in the island on the island at Jeffrey's house? Yes. If we were to take sworn testimony from the people I'm going to name, and if those people were to tell the truth about what they knew, do you believe that any of the following people would have relevant information about Jeffrey's taking advantage of underage girls? So, pause. He's not asking if any of these people were friends with Jeffrey Epstein. He's asking if any of these people would have actual knowledge of Jeffrey's uh, molesting young girls. There, he's asking, so, do you have information that could lead to the arrest of Jeffrey Epstein? <laughs> absolutely. So, uh, so he continues, so I'll just name a name, and you tell me, yes, if they told the truth, I think they'd have relevant information, or no, I don't think they would, or I don't know whether they would or not. Okay, you understand? So, just to be clear, he's not asking if these people knew Jeff. He's asking, do these people know about Jeffrey Epstein's uh, appetite for underage women? Uh, okay, Les Wexner. I think he has relevant information, but I don't think he'll tell you the truth. That's an interesting way to put oh. it. Yes. Okay, Alan Dershowitz. Yes. Uh, th- that, by the way, is not adorned with any sort of uh, anything else. <laughs> Just a flat yes. Uh, we got next uh, David Copperfield. Don't know. Uh, True and all fans will know that David Copperfield is a definite yes. Tommy Mottola. Don't know. So who's Tommy Mottola? Okay, so Tommy Mottola, I mean, it's it's probably it's probably not a surprise that people wouldn't know who he is now. But back in the day, big wig in the music industry and, of course, famously married to Mariah Carey. Oh, okay. Much like someone else who's been in the news lately, Nick Cannon, who 
is, I don't know if you saw, but rehabilitating, rehabilitating himself uh, by reading Barry Weiss's book on anti-Semitism, um, which is almost as depraved as anything I'm reading. But he's like, I mean, he was like the CEO of Sony. I mean, he's like a big, big, I mean, big guy in the industry. Wait, you're telling me that a record executive That's not had just dalliances. a record ex- executive. Come on. I know, but I'm thinking of a, a certain other man in L.A. who belongs to a gay mafia. Ah, hmm, interesting. Um, and the final name we have is Prince Andrew. Yes, he would know a lot of the truth. Again, I don't know how much he would be able to help you with, but seeing he's in a lot of trouble himself these days, I think he might so I think he might be valuable. But I'm not too sure of him. Well, Virginia, you can be sure of him now. Yeah, Prince Andrew seeing these documents, sweating bullets. The curse is lifted. Absolutely. His PTSD A- is gone. Pouring sweat. Mm-hmm. Fergie is uh, with a gin and tonic in a big gulp cup, just swirling around uh, the lawn she, at Balmoral. Yeah, she's on the lamb. She's out in the uh, moors. She no, doesn't like, know she's what's literally going on. Drunk and riding a lamb. <laughs> but you know, to be fair, that's not um, you know strange behavior for the Brits. No, not not no one whatsoever. Not out of um, character. Yeah, yeah. So that is all. Uh, that's that's all we got, we got time for today. There are a lot more documents, though. Well, okay. So here's the thing, guys: is that we had planned on going through all of our notes and highlighted portions from these documents, but whoops, we ran out of time. There's too much to get into. There is there is a lot here, um, but we we have some pretty juicy stuff left for you. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're gonna get on, uh, into it again in the next episode. Um, we won't leave you hanging. Uh, so, well, I guess we are leaving you hanging. Yeah. So, whoops, yeah. my bad. <laughs> Look, not only are leaving them hanging, but you're lying about it. It's terrible. But you know what? We're leaving you hanging, but you're like that little cat. You're on the ledge, mm-hmm. and we're saying, "Hey, hang in there, baby. We got you." All right. With that, we say adieu. No, that's not how we sign off. Um, you know what? I will say this. On the bon anniversaire of dear Jeffries, the patron Satan of this podcast, mm-hmm. uh, his yearly, I mean, we should have like thrown a party or something, but I guess COVID, you can't, we're not zooming. I mean, oh, I'm going to a for? party. T- I'm going to a party tonight. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, no, I mean, you know, the year anniversary of his death, I think it's appropriate that we return to the source. We are returning to tradition here on the podcast. We are reading documents. Absolutely. Yeah. We are reading documents. Mm -hmm. I know it's, uh, it's again, like, I know I've made this point a few, a few times on the podcast, but it is astounding how like Killing Jeffrey was like taking like the last hair out of the drain and all the water goes down. Things have not gone well. It's like it's a uh, someone tried to sacrifice him to Moloch, but they actually sacrificed him to like uh, Nebuchadnezzar or something. And uh, 
<laughs> and things things did not go well. I mean, I'm gonna go to Guantanamo Bay. No, you're not. They're gonna take me to Gu- Gitmo. You know what? I was joking. We're going to have to pivot to being like pro Biden cast. We're going to go full Biden cast to get DHS off your back. Well, that's what that's what that's that's kind of what I was joking to Ken about. It's like this is a psyop to get me to start saying to vote for Biden instead of not vote for him on the uh, on the podcast. Oh, they're oh, I see They're This is mm-hmm. what they're doing. Psychological warfare. Get us to say, hey, vote blue no matter who to get brace. We just, we, we just need to get from, this guy out of the White House. Yeah, yeah. It's time. It's time. It's time for Joe Biden in the White House. <laughs> This is my fight song. My win the house song. It doesn't work. Yeah. I fucking love that um, song. This is my fight song. Take back my life song. Prove I'm alright. It's so good. Remember it's that point? It's so good. Do you remember that like period where we just watched that video like eight times every time? Okay, we, so we people aren't out? gonna unless they've seen the live show, they aren't gonna understand that. No, no, we're, no. We're we never just, doing that show again, right? We're never doing the live show. Okay, so we can say this. There was a part in the show that was the kind of crescendo that mm. featured fight song very prominently, along with a kind of uh, blood-soaked Hillary Clinton and a... Um, live firearm. Sh- yeah, shot a live firearm, and then a kind of like image of a shotgun at the head of Peter Thiel parody. Mm. Just kidding. And, um, it's, filled, it's filled with whipped cream. And, you know, fight song. This is my fight song. You know, we got the crescendo building, building. And mm-hmm. then, you know, we lead the crowd in a rousing chant, bloodthirsty chant of lock them up. Yeah. Uh, so now on that note, we got to get Biden in the White House. Lock them up. Lock them. Lock brace up. No. Lock brace up. <laughs> Uh, if uh, there are any handsome and or beautiful lawyers out there, please contact with me because I need You've to borrow some lawyer. money. You've got a lawyer. You've got a lawyer. I need to borrow some money. No, 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 no. Not for legal representation. I just, uh, I have some cash flow liquidity problems, uh, due to, unfortunately, you know, casinos are still open in Tahoe. Oh my God. Did you go? To the casino? No. Yeah. You're not going to do that. It's COVID. No, yeah, no, no. I, 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 I sat in the woods and read documents and uh, uh, communed. S- well, yeah, and zero to red dot. Um, but uh, we're what a just pleasure. Keep going. We're just gonna keep going. Yeah, if, if we had a fifteen-minute intro, so why not a forty-five-minute outro? Yeah, where it's just you and uh, you and I talking. Brace, what's up? Oh. Uh, you know, I got. I'm hungry. I need some lamb. I got oh, lamb I out tell. there. You know, okay, listeners, behind the veil. Whoop, no, welcome. don't show them behind the veil. <laughs> Fine. You can always tell, but I'm the same way. But you can always, but usually on the streams, it's different. But you can always tell when Brace needs to eat because he turns into little baby Brace. I get squirrely. I know get, it's my. You start getting like kind of like moving around, and you're distracted, and you get really like you get really grumpy. Yeah, and you can't Fuck make decisions, off. and you're just like, I don't care. Let's just go. That's great. Yes, I know. It's the problem is all is, men are uh, like this. Did I did I tell you about the diet I heard about when I was in L.A. That just no. you can just you don't oh, yeah. you don't need to drink water. Uh, listen, my buddy Rincon told me about this fucking diet, which I'm sure. <laughs> 
many of our uh, more wayfish listeners are engaged in. Check this fucking one out. You don't drink water. You just like you can eat food. It's the 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 thing Why is would they like drink water. I don't get it. Well, their whole thing is like well water weight, but it's also like water's like they treat water like a vitamin. And so you know how people are like, oh, you can get vitamin C from like you know oranges or whatever. They're like, oh, you can get all the water you need from like uh like garbanzo beans. Like you don't need to drink water. Um and uh, and I gotta say that rocks. So yeah, I haven't drank water in about two weeks now. <laughs> you look great. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I've just been drinking this other stuff, vodka. They said you can replace it with. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm tired. Let's go. Yeah. Let's uh, let's 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 shut her down. Uh, my name <laughs> is the Dark Cowboy. <laughs> Bringing that one back. I'm Liz. We, we are joined by producer Hyung Chomsky. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.